Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome to this episode 9 of season 5 of This Spiritual Fix. Today Anna is going to be talking about one of her passions, cleaning, how it can relate to improving your mental health as well as how to do it well. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hello, Anna. Hey, Christina. Hi, Anna. How are you? I'm good. I'm kind of excited about today's topic. We're talking about cleaning the house housekeeping essentially, which is not necessarily a spiritual topic, but I feel like it ties in really well with mental health and sacred space. So it's going to be a good episode. We're going to talk about habit hacking, neurodivergent hacks for cleaning, and then some cleaning hacks from speed cleaning. Sweet. Which is good because I can tell you that I probably really need to listen to this episode. My we we like spent all day yesterday cleaning up my kids room for the first time in months and it changed everything it changed their demeanor it changed like how they interacted with the world because they had this space so it's i feel like i'm looking forward to hearing how to do it better nice so, yeah yeah so what's going on with you i wanted to tell you a story for our prelude sure today. sure this is just a fun story cuz i thought that it was one of those things that like was just a little bit magical. It was just a little bit magical was that when I was in, I was visiting a town in the Midwest that I used to live in for about five years. I lived in this town and this was the first town that I went to that. Like I, when I was there, I was like, I want to live here. I was like, I don't know why, but I want to live here. Like I, I just super want to live here. And once I moved there, I realized that that there was a lot of Tibetan, there's like two Tibetan restaurants and there was like a Tibetan, there's actually like a, a Tibetan Buddhist monastery and all, all sorts of like in an a educational center. And I've always had a really strong connection with Tibet because I just have, I don't exactly know why I got to visit Tibet back in 2009 for about 10 days when the border was open between Nepal and Tibet, which was like a pretty rare thing. So I got to go all the way to Lhasa and back from the Nepalese border and then spent a fair amount of time in Dharamsala in McLeod Gange in the northern part of, of India, 
And I've just been kind of mildly obsessed with all things Tibetan for quite some time at this point. So the fact that this town had a lot of Tibetan culture was like pretty cool. Anyway, moved away from there, moved down south, right? As we all know, I live in Georgia now. But the other day I was back visiting for a business trip and I had to take, it's about an hour from the airport. And I had to take a Uber to get back up to the airport. And it was funny because I called an Uber and I got in the Uber and the, it was a very talkative Uber driver, like, you know, right. You know, when you get a very talkative Uber driver. And, and so he was like, he kept being like, so tell me about yourself. So tell me about yourself. And I was like, I don't know. I, you know, I work and my husband homeschools, my kids. And I was just kind of telling him this, this and that. And, and then he started to explain to me that like, the reason that he decided to do Uber was because he had had a significant stroke about five years earlier, had retained all of his physical capacity, but his his speech was not necessarily up to par. And so he figured that if he got in an Uber, it would be a very good opportunity for him to talk, to be able to actually like exercise that part of his brain. Because otherwise, if he didn't exercise it, he was going to find that he like was not going to be able to speak in a certain amount of time. So he talked about this for a while and how stressful his job was. And we were going through this town about halfway on the journey when he says he looks at, he points to a restaurant and he's like, that restaurant is the first, he's like, my family was the first Asian family to ever go into that restaurant. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, it was ages ago. I was like, wow, you've lived in this town for a really long time. And he was like, yeah, actually, you know, I don't really tell many people this and I don't know if that's true or not, but he's like, but my father started the Tibetan monastery and my family was a Tibetan family that like started the two restaurants, the Tibetan restaurants that were in town. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. That's so amazing. So, so I started, I was like, oh my God, I've been to Tibet. He's like, oh my God, I can't believe you've been to Tibet. I haven't been to Tibet since like 1986. And so we just like started just like all, both of us were just vibing like so hardcore. We were just like talking about Tibet and everything Tibet. And I was like talking about momos and about medicine. And he was talking about all this kind of stuff. And by the time we got to the end of the conversation, he was like, yeah, well, you know, I mentioned my, he had mentioned his uncle and the story of his stroke. Cause he remembers the moments that he had his stroke. He remembers exactly what happened, like as he was having the stroke and in the time that he was having the stroke, his uncle came to him. And kind of indicated what should happen, right? Like whatever happened such that he got the medicine that he needed to be able to re like recover from the stroke in the way that he did. But he remembers his uncle was present with him. And I was like, oh, that's nice. He must have a good relationship with his uncle. Well, later on in this conversation, turns out his uncle is the Dalai Lama, right? And so, you know, he is obviously banned from Tibet because anybody who's relative of the Dalai Lama will be, you know, will be shot on site if they go to Tibet. So it was just this really amazing conversation. And he was like, I can't believe we only have like five minutes left. You know, we were just like talking everything Tibetan culture. And eventually we just got to this like point where, where he was just like, you know, but talking about reincarnation, we were talking about the reincarnation of the Dalai Lama. And I was like, do you think that, you know, do you think that the Dalai Lama is going to reincarnate in a Tibetan? body like in a body in tibet or do you think it's going to be in someone in dharmasala and he and he was like i he's like it does there's no limitation as to what it was which i thought was really interesting because that's been something i've been wondering for a long time because one of the things the chinese government does or has done is with the rinpoches which are like kind of the main leaders of the other 
areas of Tibetan Buddhism, they will put up a false Rinpoche who doesn't actually pass the reincarnation tests that they're supposed to pass in order to be able to become Rinpoches. Anyway, by the time we got to this end of this conversation, both of us were like almost in tears because we had made some sort of crazy soul connection. And he, and he looks at me in the mirror and he finally says, it's really nice to see you again. And it was like, it was like the most amazing <laughs> moment for me to just like have this moment with this, this person who I really felt like I could have met before. And we had this connection and he gets out of the car and I get out of the car and he like helps me get my bags out or whatever. And we just like give each other like the biggest hug. Like it was just like this totally genuine, beautiful connection. And I like, I don't know, I just feel like you never know when something that feels like it can be mundane or even when you don't feel like talking, you know, like, have you ever been in an Uber and you're just like, dude, I'm going to put my headphones on. I don't feel like talking. Like, I don't know. Sometimes the universe or whatever just wants to to like kind of knock you on the head and be like yo there's actually magic everywhere and you don't even know where to expect it it's one of the reasons i love traveling right is because like you're just bound to run into people who would never normally hit your normal path like i stay in my house all the time because i work from home like i rarely ever leave traveling is the only way to kind of get out of my comfort circle that's so, awesome. I love yeah. that story. Did did you get his business card so you could hire him again if you're that way? You know, I didn't, but I knew his name because I looked him up because he told me to look him up to like validate that he was the the nephew of the Dalai Lama. Oh, so cool. I could so probably for people, find him. Mm-hmm. And those reincarnation tests for anyone who's not familiar, like the reincarnation tests are really cool. And they do a great job of showing this in that movie, Little Buddha with Keanu Reeves. First of all, the monks will receive dreams and the child themselves may display characteristics of the of the reincarnated Rinpoche or the Lama or monk or whatever. But then they'll what they'll do is they'll bring like four hairbrushes to the child and the child picks the one that was theirs in a past life. And then they'll bring them like four other items and the child has to pick the item. And so getting a, a, a quote unquote, you know, A plus on the reincarnation test is accurately picking out of these piles the object that did belong to that previously deceased monk that they are supposedly the reincarnation of, which I think is so funny. That is really cool. I think it's just so magical and it's nice. I don't know. I'm just, I, I like I said, I, I kind of feel like it's nice that in theory you could go with anybody, you know, like it doesn't necessarily need to be someone who's Tibetan because that's more difficult. Right. And, you know, the longer that the Dalai Lama lives, like the more, you know, they're, they're not getting, that area back they're not getting independence and neither is mongolia and all these other countries that you know are no longer countries they're probably not getting that stuff anytime soon so you know the the chance of like having a it has to either be in the tibetan diaspora which is all over the place or in tibet itself in which case it'd be in chinese control so yeah do you have a family group text all no my oh. family's not like that <laughs> so in my family I have like three or diff- three or four different family texts I have various group chats going on like with different extensions of our family and then there's one where it's like me my siblings all our spouses except for my husband because he doesn't want to be bothered with this <laughs> and it includes like my first cousin and my parents so 
Anyways, my dad was visiting. First of all, my dad is hilarious. He has a hilarious sense of humor. And he was in California to take care of my niece and nephew who are one and two. And with, with of course, my stepmom, who was like the brains behind the operation, the responsible party behind the operation. So we kept texting dad like, hey, send us photos of the baby. Like we want to see the baby. And so he sent this photo of, it was like, it was like a blurry photo of like a baby escaping down a fire escape and like a parent trying to catch like <laughs> face after them on the, the fire escape. Uh-huh. So, you know, like he has a really dark and funny sense of humor. So at one point in this trip, my dad and my stepmom go to a hotel and she decides to take like a, a rooftop panoramic video to show us like the views of Hollywood. And it was really cool. And in the background, you can hear them having like a little like like a discussion and my dad my dad's like am I in the video she's like no 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 you're not in the video it's just <laughs> gonna be the video you're not in it and then he starts going off about how he lost his car keys <laughs> and he just goes going off in this whole video of like this beautiful sunrise view of California you hear in the background my dad bitching about he can't find his car keys and then I respond to the video and I said, isn't it funny that if you put it all together, dad has spent 12 years of his life looking for his car keys because <laughs> my dad is like ADHD. Like when I've told people how much Adderall he takes, they can't believe it. Like he is just like the king of the ADHD people. Like if they're like, he, he, he's absolutely like, for example, he went out to dinner on this trip with a friend and he pulled out the remote control from the hotel and from his pocket when it came time <laughs> to pay. And he's like, Oh shit, I, I have to go back to the hotel and like return this. And the guy says to my stepmom, don't think he has dementia. He was like this at 17. <laughs> Anyways. So I said, yeah. he spent 12 years of his life looking for his car keys. And then my cousin says, uncle, your car keys are in the hotel room and your hotel card is in the car. <laughs> And it's just like, that's just how my dad is. He can never find anything. And that leads very well into this episode because this whole episode is basically like how to save time and be organized and clean. And I feel like one of the reasons why I'm, I try to be so organized and clean and why it drives me crazy when my husband can't find things is because I've literally seen my dad waste years of his life looking for shit. I, um, I, can I just say like, that is so me I remember the other day I lost my keys so hardcore because I had put them on top of my pantry which is like completely out of the view of everything god knows why I decided to do that and I ended up having to walk my friend's kid home which was only like a quarter mile but still because I couldn't drive them in the rain so in the dark and in the rain because I lost my keys so hardcore. Yeah. So I, I totally understand. It I I ha- I don't lose my keys, but it drives me bonkers when I see it. It's it's a trigger for me. <laughs> not to, not a not a real trigger, but I'm just like, oh, you're wasting your life looking for shit. You know. <laughs> if only the working memory would actually like recognize that it's wasting time. Right. <laughs> By the way, the group conversation, you can like label them and on Apple phones, you can label the conversation. I had labeled it fabulous fiddlers because everyone in there, that's my maiden name, was a fiddler or is a fiddler. And then one day my sister changes the name to Anna's many texts. And then my cousin changes the name to Anna's many, many texts. Cause I'm like the only contributor on this thread. <laughs> and then one day I changed it to Anna's stream of consciousness. This text chain is literally called Anna's stream of consciousness. <laughs> 
there's a common denominator as to why you have all these family chats. It's because you are a part of them. I probably so instigate them. Yes. That's wonderful though. I mean, that's, that's, that's wonderful though. I have to, to, to admit that group texts add, like, give me a little bit of anxiety. Like they give me, uh, cause I'm just like, am I supposed to? Like, oh, I, I this- probably give my whole family so much anxiety because they'll get like five notifications from me, but I don't expect anyone to respond. Right. And, and that was, there was a, something on, on Instagram the other day that was like a, a dad who was like, can I just say from here on out that I, you know, I heart and thumbs up every single thing you say, but I need to no longer participate in this text chain because of the fact that I cannot continue to heart and and thumbs up every single thing that you do. He's like, he's like, it's way too inane or something like that. It was funny. Yeah, I think I sent that to you. My sister sent yeah, it yeah, to me. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. So anyways, moving right into organization, we could call this episode how not to be like my father and spend a quarter of your life looking for your keys and wallet and running out of a restaurant with a remote control of a hotel room. (laughs) We're calling this episode clean house, clean mind. And it reminds me of something my grandma used to tell me as a child. She'd say, by the way, she was a triple Virgo. She would say, messy room, messy mind. And that's always stuck with me, like messy room, messy mind. Like if the room is a mess, your mind is going to be a mess. And I totally agree with it. So I want to, I came up with nine reasons why it's important to keep your home environment clean and tidy. And I want to share them with you. So number one is you save time. Like they're right there. Like my my dad and I jokingly were like, if you spend two hours a day looking for your keys and wallet, we calculated all the hours in his life. Like it really, if we actually do it, it's probably just four years, but you know, not 12, but like it saves so much time when you know where shit is and you can just find it like that. Like the amount of time you invest in organizing and cleaning pays dividends later. So there's that. Number two is less anxiety, less stress. Like you walk into a messy room, messy room, messy mind. It makes you stressed out and it, it's, it's, it's distracting. It can, it's just can be a big stress. Yeah. I can add to the fact that it is, I've had a lot of conversations about this recently because Luke and I don't emphasize it we don't emphasize cleaning because we're trying to do so many things outside things along those lines. But we've started to recognize, like I said, at the beginning, like it, 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 what was, what was I saying earlier that it was like, it actually lends itself to a a level of self-regulation. So I I think that it would directly correlate with autonomic nervous regulation, because even if you haven't been conditioned to think that cleaning is necessary, when you don't know where anything is, when you know when you're in a space you can't work in that space when you have to do a task before being able to do any other task because it's it's dirty or there's no space like that is an overstimulating and and dysregulating experience so like if nothing else autonomic nervous regulation as well as the fact that like you're preventing yourself from probably doing things that you really want to do like being creative because you're cleaning or you need to clean. Sorry. It's it's a common thing at people with ADHD that the only time they start cleaning is when they're trying to avoid some other task. So yeah. But thank you. Number three is it saves money. And I'll give a funny example here is that my husband, he's always like, where are the toenail clippers? Where are the fingernail clippers? And like, 
he just never can find them. And I did my annual like clean everything in the house thing and organize everything. And I have found toenail clippers all over the house in different places. And we literally have a dozen in the toenail clipper drawer thing now. And it's because he keeps buying them. Like if he can't find them, my husband is the type of person, if he can't find something when he wants it, he just goes and buys another one. So we have 12 toenail clippers. I found like 15 pairs of scissors. I keep finding like multiples of things in the house. And I know it's because my husband gets frustrated that he doesn't know where something is and he just goes and buys another one. So it definitely saves money if you know where everything is and you know that you have it. Yeah, that's called the ADHD tax. That's one of the aspects of the ADHD task, right? Is like tax is like not recognizing that you have something and not knowing where it is. So this very much relates to it. It's a cleaning tax really on your life for not being a disorganization tax, you could call it. Yes. Number four is more active. Like if you get in the habit, I'm going to talk about this later, but I'll put a timer on every morning for 15 minutes. And if I have energy in the evening, I'll do it then too. But like it's 15 minutes where I just do speed cleaning and I know it gets my heart rate up. So it's, it's healthier in the sense that it makes you active. Number five, you're more productive. Like you just, you just know where things are. You're more efficient. You can be more clear-minded. Number six is eat healthier. Like there's studies that show when you are stressed out, you actually crave unhealthy foods. You crave high fat, high sugar things when you're stressed. So by removing the stress in your environment, the idea is that you'll probably eat healthier. And I can attest that when I have everything in order and I'm organized and I'm on my habit routine that I will like prepare my veggies. I've gotten in the routine of preparing my veggies Sunday night for the week, like mandolin slicing cucumbers and chopping up my celery sticks and roasting my veggies for the week. And so like just having it on hand, which we talk, I'm going to talk about later, how important environment is. It's like, if you have it available, you will reach for it. Like I'm going to go use cucumbers to dip in my hummus if they're already cut versus crackers. If the cucumbers are already cut and unavailable, right? So it's about availability, which we'll talk about later, but yeah. Um, I kind of jumped ahead of that, but anyways, yeah, you'll eat healthier. Number seven, you'll sleep better. They say that if you are in a clean, organized room, you're more likely to sleep better. I definitely have noticed that in hotel rooms, like when they're sparse and very modern lines and I don't have like random things, like my laundry's on the chair and this and that, like I sleep better. Number eight is confidence. And this is one that I'm just kind of making up, but I think it's true is that if you are embarrassed by how messy your house is, you might have like self-esteem stuff. Like, look at me, I'm such a failure. I live like a hoarder or I live really messy, but also it can affect social cues. Like you might not want to be the person to host a party at your house or the happy hour or have friends come over because you're, it's like so anxiety producing to clean your house, to even be available for guests. So I, I put confidence in there. And number nine, the last one, is less illness. And that's just common sense. If you are maintaining a clean environment, you're more likely to not get sick. You know, there are things like, for example, cat litter carries toxoplasmosis, which can increase the risk for epilepsy in children. And like, there's just other things. Like if your home is dirty, you might get sick more often. So those are all the nine benefits I came up with, with why this is important to do. Yeah. I think it's interesting too. I think it's also important to, to kind of point out too, because like from someone who like has, oh, as me, who's always like suffered from a form of like mild depression. Like it's also one of those things where like, I know that I'm feeling better when I finally start to want to clean again. Right. So for me, I've been in a period for like, of like at least a month and a half to two months where I've just been like either so busy or sick or recovering or something like that. And in some ways 
now that I feel better and it's clean, I like, I feel even better, right? Like it's like, it's like an additive thing, but it's also, I just want to just say that it's important to like recognize that, you know, if you do suffer from depression or something along those lines, like it may not be that cleaning makes you feel better and that's okay too. So, and then the other thing I want to say, which I thought was interesting about sleep better is one time, a couple of years ago, I was, I was sitting in my dining room, right? And this has less to do with cleaning and more to do with clutter. But I just thought it was really interesting is this insight that I got was that like, I was sitting at the table and my bookshelf was in my dining room at the time, because we had this kind of funky house with a funky layout and it was pretty small. So like we had to kind of combine rooms, like the library was with the dining room. Right. And I remember every single time that I sat down at that dining table, I looked at the bookshelf and I saw all the books that I didn't have time to read. And it was really distressing for me because it it was like potential that I wasn't meeting, if that makes sense. Right. So it's like, and I feel like that's, that's one of the reasons that hotels in particular feel better is because there's no like unmet potential in a, in a hotel room. There's no things that you're supposed to be doing in a hotel room, right? right. Like somebody else is taking care of it. And so, it, you know, pulling that same thing into your own house, like you need to decrease the amount of unmet potential that can cause you to like either wish that you had more time or wish that you had like that pulls you out of the moment. Right. And cleaning, I feel like pulls you out of the moment, like needing having a dirty space pulls you out of the moment more so than anything. Right. And like anything in your house that that can like make it so that you can actually feel content with where you are and like you're not missing out on something or you should be doing this or you should be doing that or, you you know, you didn't do this and you should be doing that instead. Anything that gets you out of that space is going to naturally be a much better and healthier and more stable place. Nice. I agree. All right, I'm going to talk a little bit now about hacks for forming good habits and hacks for breaking bad habits. And after that, I'm going to talk about speed cleaning hacks and then hacks for people who are neurodivergent, like tricks you can do for those of you who do have anxiety or depression or ADHD and struggle with normal normal methods of keeping your home clean and tidy, right? Okay. So I I this is coming from a book I just read called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And it's so funny because I told my sister and my husband, I'm like, you guys got to read this book. And they're like, yeah, Anna, we read it. We told you to read it. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm late on the late on the bus to that one. Anyways, so to quote Jason Hurrah in the book, what's so funny, Chris? Chris is laughing and you can't hear it. What's so funny? It's something that I would do. I feel like that's something that you're like, hey, I read this amazing book. And they're like, yeah, we've already read it. And yeah, we've already, and we already, we've told already you. got our shit together. Thanks. And we already told you to read it. Yeah. 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 I just thought that was funny. And then I didn't yeah. stop laughing. And then I realized I was on mute and that y'all wouldn't be able to hear me laugh. It's all good. All good. The next thing. On to it. Okay. So to quote Jason Hurrah in the book, he's a behavioral scientist. Habits are simply reliable solutions to recurring problems in the environment. So James Clear says that 50 to 60% of life activities are automated habits, meaning the majority of the stuff we do is automated. Like you wake up in the morning, you roll over, you move the sheets, you get out of bed, you walk to the bathroom, maybe you urinate, then you go and you brush your teeth, you reach for your toothbrush, you put the toothpaste on the toothbrush, you turn on the water. I mean, like it's routine and, and and we don't even think about it, but if you break it all down step by step, so much of your behavior is a habit, right? Like it's a, 
it's a habit loop. And he says, changing habits is challenging for two reasons. Either we try to change the wrong thing, or number two, we try to change our habits in the wrong way. And so one of the things he talks about with habit changing is the importance of environment, like location, location, location. It has so much to do with environment, like product placement. You're going to pick the item at the grocery store that you see all the time, that you've seen in the ads on TV. Like that's why people make ads is because you're going to be drawn to the thing that you see the most, right? You're not going to reach for junk food if there's no junk food in the house. You are not going to... um you know, I can't think of it, but like, you're not going to watch television at night if you've hid your TV in the closet for the weekdays. You know what I mean? Like there's there's just different things you can do environmentally to change things up. So, right. right. So in other words, like, I mean, it's, it's very similar to how there's a philosophy of raising kids is that you don't try to discipline the kid. You try and change the environment. Like if you don't want the kid eating junk food, don't put junk food in the house, like get rid of your TV. Like, I, I feel like that's a common thing. Like you're going off of habits and like knowing that kids are even more almost autonomic than adults are. Well, I don't know if that's true, but yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. They're learning a lot right now. They're ingraining a lot of habits. So change occurs on, on three levels of habits. One is outcomes. The other is process and the other is identity. So outcomes are your results. Like the results is like, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lose five pounds. Those are your results. And most people focus here. They focus on the outcome. And then you have your process. That is the systems. The the process is like, what are the steps you're going to take to lose those five pounds? You know, like eating this or not eating that or exercising. You know, I hope I'm not triggering anyone with food stuff, but I'm just, it's just like a very easy one, you know, like, okay, you have an outcome, you have a process, and then you have an identity. Identity is your belief. Like, who are you? And he says, most people don't even look at the identity when making changes, but actually identity, your belief system and your identity is the best place to focus when you want to change your habits. So habits are basically four steps. You have cue, craving, response, and reward. Cue is the cue that triggers your brain to initiate a behavior. For example, getting out of bed and your mouth tastes bad. Craving is the motivation behind every habit. My mouth tastes bad. I want it to taste good. I'm craving it to taste good again. An example would be, he says in the book, you don't crave smoking a cigarette. You crave for the feeling of relief it provides, right? Response is the actual habit you perform. So in this case, your mouth tastes bad. I'm going to brush my teeth. The response may depend on your motivation levels and the friction associated with the behavior. So I have my toothbrush and my toothpaste right on my counter. It's not hidden in a drawer. It's not hidden in the freezer. Like it's available because my response needs to have little friction. He causes, he calls friction the things that in like the the problems that keep you from get, doing the habit. So friction with my toothbrush and toothpaste to make it so simple would be like putting it in a plastic bag in the freezer would be a lot of friction, right? Like I've just made it really hard to go brush my teeth because I have to thaw out my toothpaste and pull it out of the freezer. Like he doesn't use that example, but you know I'm saying friction is making something harder to do. Some people will, for example, put their credit card in ice in the freezer. And that way, if they want to spend it, it has to thaw out. Anyways, so have you heard of that? I have, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So anyways, there's that. And then reward, the response delivers a reward, the end goal of every habit. So for, you know, the toothbrushing one, the reward would be my mouth tastes good again. It, it feels clean. And I know that I'm a good, 
good person, quote, because I brush my teeth, you know, you get that sense. So if the behavior is insufficient in any of the four stages, remember they are cue, craving, response, and reward, it will not become a habit. You eliminate the cue, your habit will never start. You reduce the craving, you won't experience enough motivation to act. You make the behavior difficult and you won't be able to do it. And if the reward doesn't satisfy you, you will have no reason to do it again in the future. An example would be, you know, a certain diet that you do and you don't actually end up losing the weight. You might not ever do it again, you know, things like that. So, you know, you need that, you need each one, your cue, your craving, your response and your reward all need to like have the right amount of energy or for them to like actually make it a real habit that works. The cue triggers the craving, which motivates the response, which provides a reward, which will satisfy the craving and ultimately become associated with the cue, just like Pavlov's dog. Together, these forms, together, these four steps form a neurological feedback loop known as the habit loop. So let's say you want to create a habit, like you want to make a good habit. This is what you got to do for, for the first law, which is the cue. You need to make it obvious. Okay. Obvious. Let's say your goal is to, to run every morning. So before you go to bed at night, you put your sneakers and your running clothes right by your bed. So the first thing when you see, when you wake up is your running outfit and, you know, and then if you put that on, you're one step closer or, or, you know, I can't think like, what's a habit you would like to have? Like maybe it's journaling. So you should put your journal right by your bed. So when you wake up, it's the first thing you see, right? Like you can see how making it obvious visually and available. Yeah. Can you think of a habit? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like, that's, it's like a common thing that you say when you are an art, especially if you have something that is like uh, requires maybe multiple days or multiple sessions. And it takes a long time to, to set up and put up, like to set up and clean up like oil, for instance, is that it's really good to, to try and clump and find time when you don't just have like one session, but you have like multiple days in a row. Or if you can set out 90% of it without actually opening the tubes, you're more likely to do it because it's just like in front of you. I don't know if, is that kind of the same thing that you're talking about? Yeah. You're making it readily available and obvious. Yeah. And you're, you're making the, what I would call using being a chemist, the activation energy, you're lowering the activation energy because you don't, you're making it so you don't have to remember it, right? And so that your visual, you're getting a visual cue, exactly like you said, to whatever it is, right? So you're like lowering the the energy it takes to actually accomplish a task. That's a, yeah, right. that's mm-hmm. a nerdy. People who know activation energy know. <laughs> Just like right. the, the energy it takes to start a task. All right, number two, make it attractive. So whatever that goal is, you want to make it as attractive as possible. I'm thinking like, you know, for the, the one of brushing your teeth, you know, maybe you have a photo of beautiful teeth that you keep by your bed, or, you know, you're losing, you want to lose weight. You, you put on your phone screenshots of like your favorite, the favorite dress that you're trying to fit into or something like you want to make, you want to make it as attractive as possible. Okay. Number three, the response and the loop is you want to make it easy. You don't want to make the steps in the system so difficult. Like You'll never get it really going if it's super, super complicated to reach your goal. So you want to make the goal so easy, which we're going to talk about a lot with speed cleaning, how to make things easy. And number, and the fourth law is make it satisfying. So, you know, 
maybe you tell yourself you're going to share it with all your friends when you reach your goal or, you know, to make it even more satisfying that you get like a pat on the back or, you know, just other ways that you could think of to make it even more satisfying. Or like, maybe you tell yourself, I'm going to treat myself to dinner when I hit this goal. So not only do you hit the goal, you also get your, you know, your special dinner, whatever. You see what I'm saying? You just want to make it more satisfying. So how to learn to break a bad habit you do exactly the opposite. You invert them. So if you're trying to get rid of a key, so to invert a cue, you want to make it invisible. The example would be, you know, hiding the television in a closet, except during the weekdays, if you don't want to have kids or you watching TV in the weekday, make it invisible could also be, you know, trying to think of another example. You know, cigarettes, make it invisible. like hiding cigarettes or not having them in your house. Yeah. yeah. Or let's say, you know, you know, let's say you have a toxic ex or a toxic friend, delete their phone number, get off of the social media. You know, like if you're obsessed with social media delete the app, just like, you know, make it invisible. Yep. Number two craving. You want to make it unattractive, which is the inversion of craving, right? Which is you want to make it attractive. Now you want to make it unattractive. So, you know, uh, I can't think of one right now, but I don't know. Inversion of the first. Make, make it, it unattractive. So uh, make it. Oh, I can think of one. Okay. So smoking again, get a picture of the nastiest looking person who's really wrinkled and old having smoked cigarettes their whole life and put it up on your wall. Right. Or black, or black lungs, you know, yeah, or yeah. Um, whatever it is. Yeah. Picture of it being really unattractive in the place you'd see it. And then the last one is make it difficult. For example, you, like the whole thing about putting the toothbrush in the freezer. It's like, I make it more difficult. You just, you make, you add more steps to it. You make it so much more harder. Like, okay, I deleted their phone number. So in order to actually call that person, I have to go on Google and find their phone number again and put it back in my phone. You know, like you just make the steps more difficult. Yeah. You put your phone in a safe. Yeah. Or you hand your phone to someone. Inversion of the fourth law would be the reward. You make it unsatisfying. And one thing he recommends is like, you can have an accountability buddy that says, if I do this ugly thing, I have to Venmo you money. You know, like, like you, you can set up accountability with other people or whatever, or tell yourself, you know, if I, if I drink again, whatever, I have to donate $50 to this charity or whatever. I mean, you know what I'm trying to say, like make it more unsatisfying. Yeah. So almost like a punishment, could you say would be the yeah. reward? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But going into now some other things he talks about in the book. So just we got the cue craving response reward. That's the habit loop. He goes into other things. So he says what you can do, for example, is make a habit scorecard, which is where you basically write down everything you do in a day. And then you add a, a plus or a minus. Like if it's a good habit, you write a plus. A good habit meaning it it, it serves you. It serves your highest good. It's beneficial. A negative mark would mean it's a bad habit and just an equal sign if it's a neutral habit. Like it's, you know, like, it's just, it's just something that has to be done. It's neither bad nor good. And that way you can get an idea of what are your good habits? What are your bad habits? And then you can try to extinguish those bad habits using the inversion laws. And then maybe if you don't have a good habit, you can start one using those laws, right? And he says, there are no good or bad habits. They're only effective habits. All habits serve you in some way. So you could ask yourself, like, does this behavior help me to become a type of person I wish to become? Like, how does this behavior or action or habit reflect my identity? Do you really want that? 
And the first step to changing bad habits is to be look out on the lookout for them. This process requires a lot of awareness, right? Like to be really aware of what are your bad habits. So the second thing I want to talk about is what he discusses as implementation intention. So basically it's you say, when situation X arises, I will perform Y. And it should look something like this. I will behavior, like fill in the dot behavior at fill in the dot time in fill in the dot location. An example would be, okay, let's, I will brush my teeth at 7 a.m. in my bathroom, okay? So, and, and but when you add the whole when situation X arises, I will perform Y, I would say, when I wake up in the morning, I will brush my teeth at 7 a.m. in my bathroom, okay? So you have to be, you make your habit like really clear about when this thing arises, I will perform this response and you say where and when it will take place, right? Yeah. I'm really glad we're getting onto neurodivergent hacks for this. Cause I'm just like, this is like so overload to me. I'm just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I right. am so lucky that I have any routine at all whatsoever. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. Then he calls something called habit stacking. This is the form where you implement a habit on top of a, a habit you already have. So for example, after I go on my 30 minute walk every morning, I will stretch for five minutes. Okay. So it's like, it's like, I already do my 30 minute walk. I already have that good habit, but I want to start stretching. So it's not a great idea to just randomly start stretching throughout the day, but I can stack it onto my, my habit, right? Like after I do my 30 minute walk, I will stretch for five minutes. Okay. Uh, yes. I can but say the modification of what remind me to later say the modification of this for neurodivergent minds. Cause that for neurodivergent minds, it makes it too big. So then you can't do anything because you're like, oh my God, if I go to four walk, then I have to stretch and then I have to do all All right, you're going to modify that. So I'll modify it later on for, yeah. All right. Number four, he talks about product placement and that's environment over motivation. So he says like, you know, we all don't have that much motivation maybe, but environment is king, location, location, location. So product placement, I want to get in the habit of stretching. So let me put my yoga mat right by the front door when I come back from my walk. Or, you know, let me put my workout clothes right beside the bed. So the first thing I do when I wake up is put them on and go on my walk, whatever, you know? And then number five is the two minute rule, which I love. I've always done it five minutes or 15 minutes, but he says two minutes is the bare minimum you need to start a habit. And you basically set a timer and you say, okay, two minutes, I'm going to, I'm going to walk for two minutes. <laughs> I'm going to stretch for two minutes. I'm going to brush my teeth for two minutes, whatever it is. You know, you, you, you put a timer on it to get started. And then number six is he calls them temptation bundling. And that's basically like you tie it up with something that tempts you. Like, for example, I do this a lot because I have a video game on my phone. My, my kids think I'm a cool mom because I play a video game called two dots. And I'll, I'll tell myself, okay, I have to write all these documentations for work. After I finish four of them, I get to play two rounds of two dots. And then I go back to playing it, you know, and he talks about temptation bundling. You can use them as rewards. You can use them as like breaks in between a habit, or he even says, which I have never done. And Marissa Peer would probably be against this is he says, you can start your temptation at the beginning. So you say, I'm going to play two dots and then I'm going to go on my 30 minute walk. And that way you start to associate the walk with like something that you already really enjoy. 
Nice. And I know that, I, and I know that I do that because when the weather sucks, we have an elliptical in the basement and I'm like, okay, if the weather sucks and I'm not going to walk outside, I'll get on the elliptical in the basement, but I really fucking hate it. Like I don't like to work out indoors, but I've temptation bundled it without even realizing it. And I tell myself, if I get on the elliptical, I can watch any program on TV, no judgment. And so I'll watch like really stupid, trashy crap that I might not normally watch. Cause I'm like, I'm in the basement. I can watch whatever I want down here. Like no one can hear me. No one can cares if I'm watching like all this massacres and weird shit. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I did that. I did temptation bundling yesterday when I was getting my kids. I was, um, we had to clean both the rooms and this table that was just covered in Legos. And what we did was basically we, ahead of time, we determined stages of of rewards that you would get throughout the time, right? So like the first reward was that we got to go to like our local coffee shop and get like what we normally get, like Lyra gets a hot chocolate and and my son gets something else. And, um, and, you know, and then it was like, okay, if you get that, that's level one. And then it's like gamifying it, right? Like the next level, you go up the next level, you get an even better reward and you gamify that and you gamify that. And so we had like six different levels of gamification and we got through all six because basically the prize kept escalating the more that they, Oh, that is cool. Yeah. That's a really good one. I did like a miniature one where like my daughter, had a project she really didn't want to do. So I got out five M&Ms and it was like the homework was five pages and I gave, put five M&Ms on the table. And I was like, each time you finish one page, you can eat one M&M. Yeah. Yeah. No, my daughter with homeschooling stuff, they get a chocolate chip for like all the pages that they do. (laughs) My, My daughter would show me this picture. She likes to make chocolate croissants. And so she just like, she had gotten like 29 chocolate chips because she had just gone on this massive like binge of school pages of learning stuff. And she like sent me a picture. She was so proud of her chocolate croissant that had 29 chocolate chips in it. And it worked. That's awesome. All right. So there is a blog called mysoulbalm.blog by Maria from Soul Balm. She has an article in there called Mental Illness, ADHD, and Cleaning, Five Neurodivergent Strategies to Fight Executive Dysfunction. So I, I'm i not sure I have ADHD. I don't think I have ADHD because when, when, I, took, took, yeah. when I took Ritalin once, it made me like feel like I was on espresso, which I think means I absolutely do not have ADHD because it's supposed to be a downer otherwise. But I don't think I have ADHD, but I definitely am neurodivergent. Anyways, some of these I've used and they work great. And Christina, you can definitely chime in. So there was a study done at the Radbode University Nijimijin Medical Center with people who have ADHD and depression. And they found five different parts of the brain were smaller. And they think that that has something to do with their difficulty to maintain a clean space. One of them was the basal ganglia which has to do with cognition, movement, habitual actions, and also self-awareness. Basal ganglia is also the part that that deteriorates in Parkinson's, and they have a lot of issues with the awareness of their own actions and body. So it could be that people with ADHD have trouble performing more complicated habitual activities like consistently organizing. So- but we have a lot of other strengths. And if you Oh my read, God. Yeah, you say, I mean, because like, seriously, I'm like, okay, so I have oh, wait, smaller uh, parts this, in my brain. The, Fuck you, the, study. The study <laughs> forgot to say that the reason why that those parts of the brain are so small is because the awesome part of your brain is so big. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. I was just so triggered.
triggered. Oh my God. <laughs> it's all good. Ah, I can, I can good. understand. It's all good. Here we go. Okay. So mirroring, number one, mirroring, mirroring. Have a cleaning buddy with you either in person or over Zoom. Watching cleaning YouTube videos while you clean or organize, or there is even a Facebook group. It's I'm going to link it in the show notes. It's called cleaning is hard and you can find a buddy in there to help you with cleaning. I myself, me and my friend Michelle are doing our annual like home clean purge because I like to do a big deep one every year. She's my mirror. Like we send each other before and afters. We call each other up every day and we're like, what are you going to clean today? I mean, it sounds ridiculous. I mean, we're it's ridiculous, but it's so fun to have a clean buddy a cleaning buddy who who's going to celebrate my successes. And, and I also get to cheer her on. Okay. So there's that. That's a, it's a, the other thing that you can do is body doubling, which is a similar, but slightly different thing. Body doubling is the concept of just being in the presence of somebody else who is working. So it's not necessarily that they have to also be cleaning. So obviously mirroring is when you're doing the same thing and body doubling is when you're just in the room with someone who is, who is working right? It's, it's one of those things that like, if you go onto TikTok for ADHD, like you'll find people body doubling on lives all over the place because it helps everybody. So that's another thing that you can do is you can like body double when someone's doing something, you're doing something. And then when you guys both stop, you both stop, even if you're not doing the same thing. So just want to say that slight variation. Number two is timer apps. Apparently there are timer apps on phones specifically for cleaning. I know myself, we keep an Alexa in the kitchen and it helps me so much because I can tell her, you know, set a timer for five minutes, set a timer for 15 minutes. And I'm going to talk more about my habits and how I use that. But timer apps are very helpful. Number three is gamification. That would be like giving yourself rewards, doing what Christina said, apparently, you know, with her kids and they have like, you know, if it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, the goal as you get further on, there's something called the Sweepy app. I'll put the link in the show notes for you. There's some sort of app. And then I find this to be gamification is I text a friend like Christina over the last two weeks has gotten hundreds of photos of me. It's awesome. I will text a before <laughs> photo. And then in my mind, it's a, it's a game because I'm like, I have to send her the after before I go to bed. Like I sent her a before of like a really messy cabinet. And in my mind, I've gamified it because I'm like, okay, I can't leave Christina waiting. She's got to see the end result, even though Christina fucking doesn't care probably, but (laughs) I love it though. I love how happy it makes you. And I've also find it very, it's almost like a a form of like cleaning pornography, right? Isn't that a thing? Cleaning porno, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Number four is she says, break it up in the article. She says, break it up into smaller pieces, like break things up. And then number five is she says, organize the space. So in that sense, she says, use labeled bins, have door hooks and cubbies, put a whiteboard outside the fridge, make specific regions in your fridge. Like they sell all sorts of containers now at Target and Amazon. Use colorful label floor folders to organize paperwork like she talks she stresses a lot about the importance of labels colors and and bins to organize your space and I can tell you that just because I have small children and maybe it's also because me and my husband are neurodivergent that that labeled bins have been a game changer our pantry was always a mess we have a bin that says pasta we have a bin that says kids snacks we have a bin that says snacks we have a bin that says rice you know we have like bins specifically organized. And so people know where things go back and it really helps everyone else in the family stay on board. So I'm a huge believer in that. And I also 
it makes me happy inside when I like things are labeled and in the right place. It just, it just feels good to open the fridge and be like, all the yogurts are in this bin and all the eggs are over here. And you know, all the veggies are here. It just, it, it, it just feels so good when it's there. Yeah. Can I add, can I add a couple? Yeah. So I think it's really important that when you're setting up to organize a space, if your brain is not capable of, of doing that, because if you're like me, you will, you will create an organization system that you can't keep up for all the times when you are not feeling super fixated on cleaning. So it's a really good idea to have an idea for an organization system and then test it and see if you're going to be like, like, see if you're going to be able to keep it up. Right. Because that's one of the things that I had a problem with is that like, I'll create a really complex system when I'm in a fixation because I want it to have all this detail. And then by the time it gets to doing it, like it doesn't actually make sense. And it's not actually the simplest organization system that there could be, which is why sometimes if you can find a neurodivergent organization person to come and help you initially set up things who has a lot of experience creating the simplest method for organization. And if you can afford that, if that's something that's like, that's important to you, I would recommend doing that because just recognizing that we have different levels of executive function, depending on where we are and depending on where our fixations are. And we need to be cognizant of that. So along those same lines, simpler is better. And sometimes the way that the perfect house person is keeping up their house is not the way you are. So perfect example of that is laundry. Okay. So in my house, when that dryer goes, like that's laundry done. Like I literally think the task is done because the laundry is clean, right? So what ends up happening is that obviously the task is not done when the laundry goes in the dryer. You have to put the clothes away. Like that's the next step. But for me, I'm like, but it's usable. I can just pick it out, whatever I want, right? But having been in a family for long enough, I realized that's not necessarily useful. So things that we've done. We all have our own laundry hamper. We only do our own clothes from our own laundry hamper so that we don't. So that's one level of sorting. You don't have to sort per person. Then we don't ever fold. We only have bins. So we basically have drawers. Like my son has those little cube bins. That's like a bookshelf because basically every single cube has a different type of clothes. And so all I have to do is pull his hamper into his room and just sort it there on the spot. Basically, I just pull all the things out and I just chuck all the stuff into all the different individual things. And so making things easier for you and lowering like what is your idea of done is like a really great idea. I know other people who have family closets who have really bad ADHD as well, who they'll like, they will everybody's stuff. Like they won't necessarily separate the clothes. They'll just have everybody's clothes. Like all everybody's closet is in the same place. And they'll just like take the laundry and chuck it at everybody's space. And then they may sort it from there. So those are a couple of things is like lower your standards and recognize that there's like a different version of done that is still acceptable. And that like, don't let your mind convince you not to do something just because you can't achieve the utmost of like, you know, fucking joy, Marie Kondo bullshit of like, I'm going to take everything out of my purse every single fucking day and like say hello and goodbye to it. Oh, no. (laughs) By the way, she had a third baby and apparently she's like rescinded everything. (laughs) Are you serious? Oh my God. I'm not, don't quote me, but my friend told me like Marie Kondo had a third baby and she was like, "Uh, I don't know what I was thinking actually. Mess is okay. I'm like, I'm like, when she was, I was fucking reading that. I was like, 
oh my God, what must your life be like to be able to take everything out of your purse every single day and then set it out in its own place? Or even just the most simple thing of like putting the fucking dishes completely away, like drying them, like don't put them on the drying rack to dry, you dry them. (laughs) For me, that's just like crazy. Anyway, and then what you were saying before about cues is incredibly important with ADHD. Like you have to keep it in sight so that you do it. And then the last one is micro habits. So you said two minutes in my experience, a micro habit. And this is a, this is, there's another book called micro habits, which my husband read and micro habit is literally, if you want to learn to play the piano, you sit down and play one key, right? Because that has a lower enough activation energy, so to speak. It has a low enough starting point and you're in the things so that once you're there, you're likely to go. But the problem that we have with executive function is usually starting the task. And once we get started, as long as we have some sort of reward system, because naturally cleaning has its own reward system, right? And so you're getting dopamine as you do it. But the problem is getting started with it, especially if you're kind of deficit, you're in a deficit of cleaning. Sorry, you're in a deficit of dopamine. So those are the things I just wanted to say is like, a couple of key things that I've learned that, and then also make sure you have enough food mm, in your body. It. I hope that all of that was helpful. Well, now I'm going to go a little bit into speed cleaning. So I do home visits as my job. I'm a physical therapist and I don't have an actual clinic or office. I can't stand to work in the hospital or clinics because I need everything to be different every day. Like no day is the same when you travel to different homes. And I see so many different homes. Oh my gosh. I, I have seen I have seen billionaire mansions and I have seen hoarder crack houses. I have seen every like variable of homes, which is really cool for me because I feel like it really helps me in my ideas of like what's clean, what's organized, what's not. One time I had this patient and every time I came to his home, it felt spotless. And I said to his wife one day, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm so envious of you because at this point in time, I had two toddlers. My house never stayed clean. In fact, someone once said that, that, uh, trying to clean your house when you have small kids is like brushing your teeth while you're chewing Oreos. And that is like, so (laughs) accurate. So accurate. (laughs) And so I said to her, gosh, your house is so clean. How, how much time do you put into this? I don't know why I said that, but I was just, I asked the right question to the right person that day. Cause she goes, well, believe it or not, I love speed cleaning. I go, what? She goes, oh yeah. When I know you're coming over here, I spend 15 minutes cleaning everything before you get here. I'm like, 15 minutes? That's it? She goes, 15 minutes. She's like, I I read this book and she showed me this book called Speed Cleaning. It's a book by Jeff Campbell. She's like, you got to get it. You got to read it. It's going to change your life. So I go home. I Google speed cleaning hacks because I'm not going to read the whole fucking book. (laughs) And I read summaries. And then I go on a YouTube and I just watch about five different videos on speed cleaning. So then I also started watching this woman named Sarah on Go Clean Co. She had her Instagram handle is Go Clean Co. And I bought her book, which is at her website, Bleach Pray Love. And I bought her little handbook to like learn also how to clean effectively. You can watch her videos for more. But I'm going to just summarize the four basic steps of speed cleaning and they have changed my life. Like the amount of hours I have like saved doing speed cleaning is amazing. Okay. So these are the four steps. And I'm just going to preface this with, 
often I will put a timer on, like, I don't know if you're a timer person or not, but I'll be like, I'm going to do this for 20 minutes. And when the 20 minute timer goes off, I'm done. And I have a habit of doing this pretty much every single day for 15 minutes. And usually once I get into it, I don't stop. And sometimes I'll even put ankle weights on my legs so that it becomes a workout. Cause I am definitely fucking like sweating. Like this is work. It's fat. And you want to be as fast as possible, right? You make me sick, Anna. You're so very doubly <laughs> Dorky. efficient. Dorky. <laughs> dorky dorky yes okay so these are the four basic steps of speed cleaning combined with like very many speed cleaning techniques i got off of instagram and youtube whatever so these are the four steps number one you grab a laundry basket and a trash bag like i save all my grocery bags from the store or you can just get your actual trash bin and you're going to start and then number two, you're going to start at the left corner of the room and move clockwise. This helps you not have to make the decision, where do I start? A lot of people's like, I don't know where to start. You walk into a room, look in the left-hand corner, whatever that may be, wherever you're standing, you're going to start in that left-hand corner and you're going to move around the room in a clockwise position. So you start in the left-hand corner of the room with your laundry basket and your trash bag and you make your circle. You don't want to backtrack because backtracking is going to waste time. And these strategies are coming from like hoteliers and researchers to figure out the most efficient way. So as you're traveling around in a circle, you're putting everything that doesn't belong in that room or in that area of the room in the laundry basket and everything that is trash in the trash bag. And so as you travel, if there are things in the laundry bag that go other places, you put them there. For example, I pick up some dirty dishes on this side of the room. And by the time I get around to the sink, I put them in the sink then. I'm not going back and forth from the counter to the sink, to the counter to the sink. I'm, I'm just making one circle, okay? And then when I'm done with that, I look in the laundry basket and everything that doesn't belong in that room, I quickly go and put away in other rooms. And often if I know I'm going to speed clean the living room, I don't even put it away in the right place. I just throw it in the living room because I know I'm going to do my circle in the living room next, right? Boom. Okay. Now you have a bucket, a cleaning bucket, a cleaning bucket of supplies. And Sarah has a great list of like the things that she recommends, but you basically have in this bucket a, a brush a rag, a glass cleaner, and a counter cleaner, okay? And then I'm going to give you a hack for a really good counter cleaner that you make at home in two seconds. But basically, you have everything you need in this bucket or like a little basket bin. They sell cute little shower caddies at Target. You can fill it up with there. And again, you start in the left-hand corner of the room and you make your circle clockwise. And this is the time where you are spraying the counters and you don't even bother getting the crumbs in your hand and throwing them away, throw it on the floor. You're going to clean the floor next, so who cares? So you're just getting the crumbs, wiping on the counters, letting everything that's crap just fall on the floor. You don't. You just keep moving around in a circle. You got all the dirt up. You got your glass cleaner for if the countertop is glass. You got, your, you know, if it's a glass table, you got all the different cleaners, and you can even wipe the cupboards as you go. And then when you get to the end, you put your bucket back, and then you vacuum. She is anti-broom. She's like, do not broom. Do not sweep. Don't ever sweep. Like this, the Sarah is anti-broom. I will use the broom sometimes and I'll tell you how I use it as a hack in a minute. But she says, you go around the room again in a starting in the left-hand corner and you vacuum everything. So now you've picked up all the crumbs. Then you mop. You quickly mop. And then you vacuum one more time to pick up all the crap that the mop didn't use. I won't always do that second vacuum, but I do have an iRobot. I'm spoiled a little, and then I'll turn that guy on at the very end of mopping so he can pick up any crap that got pulled up from the mop. So those are the four steps. Laundry basket and trash bag, 
Number two, you start at the left-hand corner, moving clockwise. Number three, you do the travel again, this time with a bucket of cleaning supplies, wiping down and dusting all the counters. Number four, you do the vacuum mop vacuum sandwich, okay? Sounds pretty doable and it really, it's really helpful. Okay, so that's that. I will put the link to her handbook in the show notes, but I wanna go now over 13 hacks that I have come up with on my own in my little journey, okay? So number one is the accountability partner. Obviously there's a Facebook group. Find a friend. You can get into our Facebook group. We have a This Spiritual Fix podcast Facebook group. I'm sure someone in there will happily be your your buddy, your accountability buddy. I know I would. I love cleaning. I, I think it's so fun. Number two, I do set the timer 15 minutes a day. To me, 15 is my golden number. I'm like, I can do anything for 15 minutes. And usually when that 15 minute timer goes off, I'm in the zone, I'm burning calories. I just have one more dish to wash, whatever I do. I, you know, I get it done. Number three, pick a day of the week for the one thing that you absolutely hate and stick to that day. So for example, I hate folding laundry. If all the like household tasks, I fucking hate folding laundry. So I do fold my laundry and put it away. Um, And I also fold it with cardboard flaps, which I will put a link how to do that in the show notes because I want all of them to be stacked in the same size and height. So you have have your OCD, which makes it so that you have to fold your clothes even if you don't want to. I don't fold underwear or pajamas. That's like still, you're just like, but I like to me, but I, but I fold it all because I want it all to be like perfectly stacked anyway, psycho, but I love it. Good for you. It's not psycho, but but Sunday afternoon, I've like put aside, I like don't make plans for Sunday afternoon because I know that Sunday afternoon is my laundry folding day. And that, and it's really good to just like pick the one day of the week where you do the thing you hate because then you just know it's coming and you can do edibles or takeout or Netflix, like do whatever it is that you need to make it more fun. But like, you can make it fun. Wait, this is Sunday afternoon. Are you missing out on laundry right now? Okay. Believe it or not, in preparation to record this episode, I already did two of the people in my families. I still have two left. (laughs) I don't know if you can tell that I'm over here just like in fucking awe. (laughs) I can't even believe it. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. I'm going to keep going. Number four, we also have laundry. We don't have hampers, but I have laundry basket in the laundry room with everybody's names. And I will link this in the show notes because I found laundry baskets that actually stack on top of each other, but yet have like a wide enough lip that you can throw things in. And I've just come to understand, I do wash everyone's clothes together. We don't do separate, but that is a genius idea. But like, I don't do that, but, but whatever I, when I take things out of the dryer, as I'm taking things out of the dryer, I throw things into their corresponding basket according to person. And then I have one for socks and towels. And then that way it's already sorted later. Okay. I I used to do that with, with linens and that's a lean perspective, right? So like lean, if anybody has ever heard of like a lean business, there's like all these lean hacks and it's, you put as much value into it as possible as you put your hand on it, which is you are sorting it as you're taking it out of the dryer. Yeah. It's perfect. It's perfect lean. Yeah. Cause my friend Nicoletta told me, she's like, cause I was like, do you have any laundry hacks? I'm doing research for this episode on laundry. This was months ago. And she told me to do that and I did it. And it was like huge game changer. Cause it's like, she, it's like, I'm already digging stuff out anyways. Why am I wasting time? Yeah. On a, on a, on a farm, it's like, if you harvest something, then you clean it, 
you cut it, you clean it and you make it. So it's like 90% ready for market as you're harvesting it, as opposed to just like harvesting it messy and chucking it all in a thing and then having uh-huh. to go through it all later. And it's sense. the same thing. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Number five is hypnosis. Marissa Peer has an organizational hypnosis and a productivity one. And my friend Michelle and I have been listening to the organization hypnosis every day. And it's hilarious because we're like, she trains you to get like a dopamine high off of organizing. (laughs) So it's great. And I'll link that in the show notes. If you use her code, it's only like $18, best $18 ever spent. Okay. Number six is end dust on your broom. So that lady, Sarah is like, only use a vacuum, never use a broom. But my grandmother would take end dust, you know, which is like the thing, anti-dust spray that you use and you spray it on the bristles of your broom. And then it will actually, when you sweep, it will actually not have everything fly away because that's the problem with sweeping, especially if you're from dry climate places or places with a lot of dust is you sweep and it just goes everywhere. So end dust will help you contain those little piles. Number seven is fabuloso i'm not sure who is like aware of this latin american cleaner called fabuloso it is the purple one smells amazing and you can get an enormous like two gallon jug at target for six dollars or something it's like incredible it smells great so i'm a fan of fabuloso and i'm also a fan of adding essential oils into what i'm doing so if like if i'm using fabuloso to clean i'll add a couple extra lavender essence into my clean like into the solution I create so that the house smells more like lavender and then it becomes kind of therapeutic and then number nine is to use a pan scraper so if you buy a pan scraper like for cast iron pans you can like pick up all that weird crap that gets stuck on the floor or on the on the countertop not just in dishes like I bought two and I use one for dishes and it helps pull up like you know burnt little crumbs and things or things that are hard to get off, but like I have a second one that I use on the floor so that when you're mopping and things are just like stuck and not going anywhere, it, it really, it pulls up the stuff without actually damaging the floor. Okay. Number nine is you make your own solution when it's time to clean using hot water, tide and bleach. I'm going to put the ratio in the show notes, but this comes from a go clean company. And I also add some essential oils like lemongrass sometimes, but basically By using hot water and making your own solution with a little bit of Tide, which is surfactant, it goes a long way and it cleans so much more efficiently than using a spray bottle of like cold or room temperature liquid. Like hot water is amazing. Anyways, there's that. Okay. Number 10 is don't set expectations too high. I'm coming to the end of January when we recorded this and my goal was to organize and purge my entire house, which I like to do once a year. And I wanted us to target like my kids art table, arts and craft area and their closets. And I realized I'm setting my expectations way too high. Like, like I'm going to be exhausted and grumpy if I do both of those today and the laundry. So like, just pace yourself and know like what you're getting into. Okay. Number 11, do an annual purge. So if you're new to cleaning your house, you might want to do your annual purge now, or maybe just start with 15 minutes. I don't know. But I really think that doing an annual clean, like deep clean with a, a buddy is awesome to just get everything in order for the rest of the year. Yeah. Can I add some, can yeah. I add something about this one? Yeah. So, you know, obviously there's always this, this like historically the spring clean is like a thing that's been happened for a really long time, obviously, because you're used to, this is obviously it, it, it's a very historical thing that goes back quite a ways in which, you know, you would have to like 
you know, replace all the ticking inside of the mattresses. And like, you would have to like, you know, basically you would have not left your house for the entirety of winter, especially if you were like a pioneer or anything like that. And so you needed to like redo everything in the spring. And I feel like there's a lot of really good energy that comes from partaking in the spring clean in particular in spring, because it renews and refreshes the energy inside your house. And so one of the things that I incentivize myself, I used to do this, I did this in my one house and I'm going to do it in this house eventually, but, um, probably later this spring is that I take every single thing out of the room. Right. And then I wash down every single wall and all the floorboards and everything like that. And by taking everything out of the room, the room gets reset. And then I ask the Davis, I ask the, the Faye folk where the furniture needs to go for whatever I want that room to be for. Right. And so then it becomes a spiritual thing in which because I've let everything out of the room, because everything's gone, like some things don't want to be there anymore. Right. Feng Shui and Chi gets stagnant inside rooms and like the the Chi, when it gets stagnant inside a room, you don't even notice it, especially if you haven't moved the configuration, you haven't changed anything around. And I've been really sensitive to that my whole life. I used to change my room like every six months, my kid, my childhood room, I would rearrange it. And so, so it's like, it's a really nice, my, it drives my husband absolutely crazy. And it's a little tough in my house right now because like the amount of furniture we have in our living room, it's hard to like rearrange it, but you know, I do it all the time. And the incentive is that when I'm rearranging, I also clean and do that spring clean because it restores the chi and the flow of chi inside my house as much as possible. So I love that for that. Yeah. Yeah. Number 12, as we said before, label everything in closets, bins, whatever, like in my kids' closets, we also have those bins that Christina's talking about, the cubes, but I've actually printed out labels like underwear, socks, um, shirts, shorts, whatever. Like I've labeled it so that my kids can't really have an excuse as to why they haven't put their things back in the right place. And then number 13 is get everyone in the family involved. Like you can get your children involved. Christina got her kids involved yesterday by gamifying it. I did a little more like, like obvious reward thing where I had my kids help me with their arts and crafts table. And then we're going to go and get frozen yogurt after dinner tonight when it's all done. So, you know, you can get kids involved, like with these big purging projects, you can easily get them involved. And then as soon as they're old enough, like five years old, and I'm going to put the show notes, the little, like the little, how to do it. You can get a piece of cardboard and make it so that a child can easily fold like the gap, like perfect, same size, everything. Like they can fold their own shorts and their own pants and they can start sorting socks. And another thing I used to do before they could read was I printed out four photos of one, a photo of each and every member of the family and then their name next to it. And I'd put it on the floor and then they would take the laundry and help me sort it into everyone's pile because they couldn't read yet. They could sort with that, you know, according to the face. They know what clothes mom wears. They know what clothes dad wears. So, and things like that. But now I do a different sorting system. That's not necessary, but it did help at the time. So anyways, these are all my hacks for starting a good habit of keeping your home clean because I think it helps a lot with mental health. If you are too depressed to do it, we love you anyways. This is like not in any shape or form meant to shame anyone who does have a messy house. I'm just trying to give ideas and motivation and inspiration for anyone who does want a clean house, but doesn't really have the strategies. Because I know for me, if my house is messy, I get anxious. 
if there's crap around the house, I can't focus enough to even get my work done. So like to me, my house kind of has to be clean for me to even function. I get overstimulated easily. So yeah. So there's that. Now, Christina is going to share something about making your space more magical. Yes. So there's a couple of different things that you can keep in mind when wanting to address the unseen aspects of cleanliness. Obviously, one that probably a lot of people know is the concept of smudging. And I, I'm going to tell you guys a story of like one of the, of what I've heard from a native teacher about the actual origin of smudging, particularly with Sage. But I do want to say that like, there are a lot of different tools that you can use for using and clearing a space. Smudging with Sage, with white Sage is one of those. Smudging with Palo Santo is another one of those. You can smudge with Cedar. Cedar is used as an overall blessing or to cleanse oh, where there has cedar. been illness. You can use sweetgrass, they all, which draws in positive energy. A lot of these are ceremonial and sacred plant medicine. So it's really important that you understand what it is that you're doing and not necessarily being like, I'm just going to go be really shitty in my space. And then I'm going to go and burn some sage and somehow make up for that. Like actually maybe address the fact that you're shitty in your space before using the sacred plant medicine to kind of you as like a cure-all, if that makes sense. I think it's just really important to be respectful of it, especially because white sage is becoming endangered. I feel like you're point. equating, or I feel like you're equating cleaning to contraception and sage to abortion. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> totally not. <laughs> But, but I, I can see how you would say that, but I am saying like, be respectful of your space in the fucking first place so that you don't have to go and smudge it. But sometimes you're in a situation where that is the best thing for you to do because someone has come into your space. You have no control if they've had on your space, in which case absolutely smudge. I am 100% making this like abortion. Oh my God. No, but I'm completely pro-choice. Everybody just, so you know, <laughs> I am pro smudging as well. I think that it's important that you do smudging. I know, but you just, it's the, the rhetoric. It's very, it's sounding very anti-abortion, it, it, anti-smudging. I, I, well, I just, because of the fact that wildcrafted white sage is becoming endangered in the wild, like that's a really big deal, right? So, so another thing that you can do is you can do, and you can make something called, called Arshan. This is something that Robbie and Anna and I all made a couple of years ago. I still have my jar, my drum, my, my jar. jar. I jar have mine too. Do when you? I completely finished doing this cleanliness, this cleansing and purging, I'm going to put some on a damp cloth and just go around the baseboard yeah. of every room. Yeah. You can also, so Arshan is basically a tincture. It's a tincture of any kind of herbs that you're motivated to do. It could be stuff that comes from outside your house. It could be stuff that you really like. It could be something like if you run a really dreamlike space, you could put mugwort or you could put, you could put some sort of rosemary, thyme and sage. So rosemary, thyme and sage are all antioxidants, which is why they're in that song about the fair, the, the, whatever fair they're like, ah, rosemary, thyme and sage. They're all in there because they are highly medicinal in their um, in their like antioxidant ability, right? So beyond sage, you could put rosemary, you could put thyme. There are all sorts of things that you can put into this tincture. You basically put, and I think it's like 60 to 70% water, which is what most tinctures are. 
of like a Everclear is probably the best because it's almost hundred percent alcohol. And then you put the rest in as water, but you can look it up as to the best thing to do. And then you can put stones in it. So you can put stuff like you can put crystals and all sorts of other things into this jar and you close it up and then you bury it for an entire year. Right. And so in that year, it gathers all the moons, it gathers the earth's energy through its entire cycle. And when you grow and when you dig it up again, you have this amazing tincture that has gone through and been completely saturated in the resonance energy of the earth. And then what you can do is you can put that into a jar or you can put that into a spray bottle and you can spray your house with it and it'd be amazing. So that's a really good way of doing it. And it doesn't necessarily involve endangering white sage in the wild. So I do want to tell the story here for, for where sage came from, if that's okay. Yeah. All right. So this is on the Kripalu website that I found it. And it's from a person named Bearheart, which was this person's native teacher who was the who's telling this story. It says, a long time ago, there was a village in North America where it seemed like things were going from bad to worse, to the point that things of a negative nature seemed to be predominant. Things were going wrong. Craftsmen were making mistakes in their work. People were making accusations against one another, and people were accused of practicing evil. There was a whole lot of discord among the people, friends and neighbors having fallouts, not allowing their children to play with their neighbor's children. Many things like that were happening. All of a sudden, a young boy around 13 or 14 years old showed up in the village with a bundle in his arms. As soon as he arrived, he asked to see the elders of the village. When they were summoned, he asked them to sit in a circle. And as they did so, he said, I have this plant I want you to look at. You can recognize it when you see it again because it will be growing in this area. It is called sage. It is going to enable you to handle all the negative things that are blowing around this whole camp. That's why I was sent to you. And so please smell this and pass it round. And as they did, they began to feel good toward one another. While they were doing that, he built a fire very quickly. And when the sage came back to him in the circle, he put coals in a pile using his bare hands. Then he put all the sage on it and he said, I want you all to smudge yourselves. This is how you do it. While they were smudging themselves, each one suddenly began to feel good about the person next to him. They were so busy acknowledging one another that when they looked again for the boy, he had disappeared. They didn't know where he came from or where he went. That's the story of how Sage came to the people. And so as you can tell, this story, using our TSF language that we have, is is the town of a haunted, it's the story of a haunted town right? These people have probably entity attachments or other Mm -hmm. unseen forces that are affecting their ability to kind of conduct their daily lives. Sage is one method for doing that. Arshan is another. There are many other sages, or excuse me, there are many other herbs that you can use in a space to be able to do a similar thing, or you can have a healer, or you can follow our instructions on how to remove implants. There's all sorts of different methods for doing this. Mm-hmm. And it all extends to your space as well as to your person because you can have haunted spaces and haunted people. Thank you. I think Wonderful. That all that is very useful. And hopefully there's some tips here. If if you aren't already an OCD avid cleaner, hopefully you got some tips here that you can use. Do you think that there's anything here you can apply, Christina? I think I definitely can. I think if nothing else, it's the sense of accomplishment and feeling that you get that I can see that you get and that I'm like, I should do that. That makes a lot of sense. You know what I mean? Like your, your, your effervescence about cleaning is contagious. Ah. <laughs> I, I do. I do enjoy it. I mean, I do enjoy it. Yes. 
All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. Have you checked out our show notes or our website recently? There's all sorts of unique and interesting things that Anna creates as a result of our episodes. And including for this one, you'll be able to find some tips and tricks in our show notes for speed cleaning. So check it out, as well as the other things we have available there. Thanks, y'all. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.